Welcome back to the Plugin for More podcast. Uh, Mike, what are we talking about today? Five myths on EV Ooh. ownership. Beautiful. I'm glad we finally got a chance to get to it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, at the last uh, podcast recording, which is all about tax credits, I decided I was going to research the wrong topic. So I had an extra week to dive into this one. So I'm, I'm ultra prepared, excited for this, and uh, I think it'll be a good conversation. Beautiful. Let's do it. Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. Yeah, does someone have birds nearby? I do, yeah. Not anymore. Sounds beautiful and nice. It sounds like a Rivian. Sounds like a Rivian. <laughs> you know. My, I'm a Disney princess. <laughs> well, that's true. Nothing changes with time, Tom. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think we talked about this at a, at a charging podcast, but really interesting updates here. Not only has the Tesla superchargers started to open up to, you know, non-Tesla owners, but recent news um ford i think a few weeks ago at least the time of this podcast had announced they were going to start putting um they're going to start putting the tesla charger called nacs in all new fords moving forward and then this week uh second week of june while it's being recorded gm announced the same thing so now you have two massive automakers teaming up to join the tesla network which i think is super fascinating to see and the speculations, at least talking to people on a road trip I recently did, is now there's concerns around what happens to the CCS networks, the Electrify America, ChargePoint. Do they continue to invest in those types of you know non-Tesla chargers, or does this become just a Tesla game? And I think that's a super interesting topic. We might even devote a whole podcast to, but uh, Tom and Mike, what's your reactions? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of good information that's coming out about it. I mean, it, it's, I think, moving the industry, in my opinion, in the right direction. When you look at the Tesla connector, it's it's a better connector um, in a, a multitude of different ways, from reliability, from size, from weight, um, just as far as, you know, it's just the usability of it. It's not a massive clunking adapter that you have to, almost have to have two hands to put into the car. That being said, I think the news coming from Ford and GM has been a little bit sparse and we haven't really heard exactly what they're going to be doing and what if they're going to be putting in a ccs which is what they currently have in the vehicles and leave them there and then add an nacs are they going to add a adapter so you can use them through the same port or they're just going to move everything over to the nacs um, I, I think there's lots still you know to be learned here um, before we we know exactly other than you know, Tesla's going to allow them into the the supercharging network, so to speak. But what it will truly look like and function, I think, is yet to be determined. Right, and obviously we got those those factors to work through. But I love, love, love the idea of simplifying the charging experience for everybody moving across the country. So if we are truly able to get to a one standard plug to where every vehicle, regardless of manufacturer, is using that NACS, that's great. If you know, Android and iPhone could get on the same plan. So everyone's using the same connector. That would be awesome. And I think the fact that the automobile industry is getting there quicker than 
a lot of the other tech companies is pretty great. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm running into that right now. I mean, as you both know, I've made a lot of trips from North Carolina to Michigan and we've done that family trips, um, you know, multiple times per year. And in my previous vehicles have all been Tesla and that has worked out swimmingly, no issues whatsoever. Um, this year we have a Rivian, so CCS and that because of where we have to go through West Virginia, we're actually going to skip and fly this year just because we're on a time crunch to get up there. And there's only one real good charger that that would work for us. And if it's, it's a holiday weekend, if we get stuck multiple hours, what's going to, you know, it's, it's really dampen our trip. So we want to make sure that we, we have to get up there in time and that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, right there is just one example of when you have two disparate charging uh, networks, some of the hiccups you can run into most of the rest of the country. And of course, you guys have CCS vehicles or uh, vehicles that, that work on that network. You know, you guys have been fine on your road trips. So I think it's worked out well. But, you know, for us, there's just there's some there's some holes in the country. And unfortunately, I live on the opposite side of one hole to get up to Michigan. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation around do the values of non, you know, non GM Ford and Tesla vehicles go down because they can't access the supercharger. I mean, I'm really curious to your point, Mike. It's it's super it's super um, questioning what the what the GM and Ford vehicles are going to do. And then you obviously have Tesla opening up though to not you know to CCS vehicles. So you have a lot of momentum in the right direction. You know, I don't. I'm going to reserve judgment to see you know what values happen and things like that. We'll just have to see what happens. However, though, I do I do like it because there's multiple times on my recent trip down to Chicago and St. Louis, I had no problems used um, Electrify America. However, in Chicago, uh, a lot of the Electrify America stations were full. I didn't have to wait. Luckily, I got the last spot, but then there was people waiting. And right next to us, there's a supercharger, Tesla supercharger, <laughs> 25 stations are open, empty. You know, So the fact that you could go use the supercharger, I just think it makes it a lot more, you know, a lot more accessible and easy on road trips. And to your point, Tesla's reliability ratings are in the high 90s where I think Electrify America, when I just looked it up before this podcast, were in the 40s. And that was the second highest. And then you'd be, and then EVgo is like 20. And you get some of the others, mm. you know, like ChargePoint was the lowest, at like 9% reliable. So anyway, I think it's a good thing. We'll just have to see what happens to the market. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot more pushback, though. I think you're going to see some of these other smaller manufacturers are going to fall in line and want to get on board with the NACS. It's, I think... I think that that's over at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at like Rivian, my guess is Rivian's probably going to jump. Um, that's I'm just pure speculation there. Um, one really interesting manufacturer I think will be VW because we think about where Electrify America came from and the diesel gate money and, and how that kind of transpired. And if you're not familiar with that whole story, it's, it's worth looking up. Um, but basically Electrify America and that whole um, the rollout is really funded through money from VW. And so are they going to follow along? Does it impact them? I'm not sure all the specifics there, but um, I mean, that's an extremely large manufacturer and we'll see what they do. Um, but you also got to think, how does it impact? This is the U.S. CCS is used overseas, especially in Europe. and so. And is that going to factor into any pushback we see there? I don't know. This is going to get complicated, but I do think the dam is sort of breaking here, and we're going to see a lot more jumping over to NACS soon. Yeah, I think I think best state would be you could charge either or. 
I mean, Teslas can use, I was actually confused by this. Maybe Mike, you have some insights here. I was at a charging station about an hour north of Chicago. There's three Electrify Americas. There's about 25 superchargers, maybe 15, 20, I don't know. And there's a Tesla Model 3 charging at Electrify America <laughs> and not using the supercharger network. And there are some people, there's a Maki specifically that was pretty pissed about that Tesla taking up an Electrify America spot when there's a Tesla supercharger literally 10 feet away. And I just don't know why you would do that. But maybe, Mike, you have an idea. I don't know. My my only guess is that there was um, that guy had some credits on Electrify America and he was, he, was, he was getting either free charging or very reduced price charging. Otherwise, it doesn't make any any sense for him to do that. Um, it, frankly, it's more work. I mean, for people who have used a Tesla supercharger, you truly just back up into the spot or you know, most nine times out of 10. <laughs> depends on how the, the stalls are set up. But back into the spot, get out of the car, plug it in and that's it. I mean, it is simple. With Electrify America or CCS, I mean, you have to obviously have the the payment and, you know, it's a little bit more cumbersome. And then you have to worry about reliability too. So unless there's a money being a factor there, or maybe those super that supercharger um, whole station wasn't even running yet. I don't yeah, know. I mean, not a single empty. one was taken up. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my only guess. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. What we're here to talk about today in this episode is the five myths of EV ownership. Uh, the first one, first myth we're going to talk about is the limited range. Uh, who wants to start that off? Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, one of the the biggest downsides to EVs in general is range. You know, a lot of people hear about the limited range, and um, you can't you can't travel that far. And, and it, early on, that that really was the case, especially when you looked at like the Nissan Leaf and having only approximately 100, 120 miles of range, and even some of the used ones getting down in the 50, 60 mile range. Um, but on the new vehicles, I mean, they're they're going pretty darn far. I mean, you now have I think um, the Lucid Air has a 516 range model. Um, there's there's a bunch right around 400, especially when you look at the the Model X and Model S. Um, and then you know there's Rivian's got 340 some mile range on on their R1Ts and their their dual range uh, our dual motor models coming along too. I mean there's a lot that are actually in the 300 plus um, and even more when you look at the 250 plus. So you know, for me, it's, it's really a, it's a misnomer. It's, it's really, a, it's really a huge myth that they don't have much range. Um, one thing to factor in is that day-to-day -day driving, he really don't necessarily fill it up 100% on most vehicles. It's about 80, 90%, sometimes 70, but you're not fully charging it, but you do wake up most days with a full charge. Um, and then on the opposite side, you're not completely depleting that, that battery either. So even if it has a quote unquote, 300 mile range, there's a lot of factors into that, such as, um, you know, the speed, which we've talked about here, um, the weather. So if it's very cold out, and we've talked about different ways you can, um, you know, limit that range loss. And then besides that, it's really just, um, you know, that you're not hitting those to the top and bottom of that of that battery. Um, but otherwise, I mean, really, the range is plenty sufficient for Many long road trips. I've done them. You all have done them. Um, so for me, that's a that's a number one myth. 
that I would like to dispel right now. There's not enough range. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's the number one. I think, you know, I recently just did a road trip to Chicago last week. It's, I had to go 390 miles to where I was going. My EV6 on the highway has about 280 to 290 mile range. To your point, Mike, I only to drive about 250 before I charge. I like to give 30 mile buffer. I'm just maybe a little more conservative. But to your point, I was stopping at an Electrify America station for a 15 minute charge. And I took a team team meeting on uh, my Zoom call and I was just, you know, I held up my phone and, hey, guys, I'm just, you know, getting a quick 15, 20 minute top off here. And the number one comment was, well, how many times do you have to do that on the way to Chicago? Probably four or five, right? And I was like, no, there's no, literally this 15, 20 minutes is all I need more than enough. I probably don't even need the full, you know, 15 minutes to get there. Um, I just need to top this thing off. Uh, 10 minutes would have probably been enough. But I think you're right. I think pretty much most EVs now have at least a 200 mile range, if not more. And there's opportunities along the way to get more range for different models like you, like you covered. No, and the the biggest thing for me too, with, with two smaller children is that there's no way we're going that full, let's say 300 miles without stopping to go to the bathroom with two kids. Like it just does not happen. And I know a lot of people, Hey, I want to go five, 600 miles at a pop without stopping. One, there's a lot of driver fatigue, the bladders in, in our vehicle are not going to last that long. So, you know, if we got to stop for 15 minutes, it doesn't really impact us. It really just provides a good stopping place for us. <laughs> get on the road, get a quick bite to, if we need to, get a quick snack, get a drink, go. Cool. Yeah. I was trying to find the list of what our five myths were, and I don't know where they're at. Number oh. two is... Uh... <laughs> Number two is lack of charging infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, time out. Okay, so someone was making fun of someone else for not being prepared last week. But um, whoa, I have never made any claims about being prepared for a podcast. No, you made fun of me. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm sending it to you. So you got it. Uh, hey, there it is. There it is. There are my. This is the first time I've ever seen this. I'm glad you open up your. Yeah. Ryan, you should be happy. When Tom sees your name, he's just like, no, I'm not reading that. <laughs> it's all good. That's not true. I mean, he knew the topic, at least. So I've got Tom speechless here. This is awesome. <laughs> so rip it on me for, I often sing Brian's praises for his preparation and the layouts and the outlines he gives us for podcasts, and I truly appreciate it, and I don't think I have ever seen this document. That sounds like a bunch of baloney or malarkey. So according to this list, number two is the lack of charging infrastructure. I was going to say this one, I think, you know, we, we just covered a little bit with uh, the plugs that, you know, GM and Ford are going to with Tesla. However, I will say, you know, I've, I've been continuing to be surprised. There's a plug share app out there, which is a, you know, kind of a peer sourced list of all the, you know, chargers in the country. There's better route planner. There's a charge point. There's a bunch of apps that show you where vehicles are at and I've our chargers have, are at. And I've never been somewhere actually where there's not a charger. Now, granted, maybe it's not a fast charger, but it continues to blow my mind when I talk to people that they reference, you know, I, I'll just I'll just take a, a quick swing at a friend of mine in Ann Arbor. His son lives in Ely, Minnesota. And guess what? There's a charger in Ely, Minnesota. <laughs> There's a charger at the National Park um, Wolf Station there. And so I think the charging infrastructure definitely is still developing. However, you know, even last week in Chicago, downtown Chicago, I was actually slightly worried about being downtown Chicago 
the parking decks, but I found so many chargers and parking decks. It was almost like almost like impossible not, not to see them. There is a charger every parking deck I tried in Chicago, and it was pretty pretty easy to find. And so I think this is definitely something that continues to be. We need more charging infrastructure. Obviously, I'm not saying it's fully built out, but I still think it's at a level right now where unless you're going on a massive road trip across West Virginia or Wyoming or some other, you know, densely populated states, I've had no problems finding charging stations on any of my road trips I've done. And I put 20,000 miles on my car in one year. Um, so I think this is definitely a myth, but it's it's there's a little bit of truth to it. Like the infrastructure needs to be built. I, I agree with you on that. And to imply that our charging infrastructure is on par with the current infrastructure in a ICE vehicle for gas stations. I mean, that's absolutely true. It's not, it, but it is still doable. You can still travel cross country. You can still make these trips. You can still do everything you would normally do. It just takes just a little bit more planning and not a lot more. Yep. I think that's, that's absolutely, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, and again, the only reason I am flying from North Carolina to Michigan is truly just there's one spot in West Virginia. If there was one, let's say, Electrify America station there, we would we'd totally do it. It is a brutal trip anyways, just because we're only going to be gone five days and, you know, it'd be almost two days each way on the road. And it's, it's, just, it's a long, long trip. Um, but we would, again, we've done it numerous times. Um, and it's, it, it's doable for us. We're just underneath a time crunch. I think this, you know, last point on this is 99% of EV owners are going to charge at their house. And that's just something that is a fact. And I think, you know, the charging infrastructure at your house, you know, if you're just a local commuter going around town, we've talked about this, is more than enough. You probably will never, unless you take a road trip, you know, more than 200 miles, you'll never need to charge in a public network because you leave your house every day full or 80% at least, 90%, and you have enough. So I think, I think that's just one more point I wanted to bring up on that. So then that brings us to our third myth of EV ownership, and that's going to be the high cost associated with purchasing an EV. So my take on this is that people are looking at the initial purchase price of an electric vehicle, and you're seeing a lot of electric vehicles that are fifty to sixty to seventy five thousand dollars and upwards even from there, and making that comparison and saying, Well, it's expensive, but it's a new car. A lot of gasoline cars are also up around that price point as well, especially if you start looking at the Platinum Lightning, Ford F-150 Lightning to the Platinum Ice counterpart. They're running up around 100 grand. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, that, that's a great um, a myth. And I think early on that, that was truly the case. When you look at like the Tesla Roadster and the uh, Tesla Model S, those were very expensive vehicles. However, now, and this just recently happened in the last few weeks, it really looks like the Tesla Model 3 is truly at price parity with ICE vehicles. And so if you look at like some of the impact reports that have been done by Tesla and others, um, and this is without even factoring on the local and federal tax incentives, it really is already cheap. The Tesla Model 3 is a cheap price parity with the Audi A4, the BMW 3 Series, Mercedes C-Class. Um, and even, you know, when you look at, you know, the price per mile, um, it's just, it's actually beating like the Toyota Corolla of all things. So, I mean, it's, um, it's truly amazing. And that report came out before the latest ta or latest price reductions by the uh, Tesla model three. 
or some of these tax incentives. I mean, you can get a brand new Model 3 for just over $30,000 if you're in California and some other states, it's it's low 30s. And I mean, you guys have driven them. I mean, these are, they're solid vehicles. I mean, there's a reason why Mm -hmm. so many people are buying these things is because they're, it's, it's a heck of a, it's a heck of a deal. And that's just as of, you know, buying it new, not even factoring the, um, the savings with the decreased maintenance and the, uh, electricity versus the, the gas prices. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's articles going around on the internet that talk a lot about, and I've read them and referred to that, you know, people afford them to me about talking about the cost of electricity versus gasoline. And, and to your point, Mike, I think, you know, there's a couple of things I want to make on that one. One, the most expensive month for my, I've, I've um, tracked all my mileage on my app. The most expensive month for me in charging was in December. It was $45. And I drove 1,994 miles in December for $45. And granted, a lot of that was home, uh, at home charging. And I think I think the misleading thing on some of these articles going around is if you supercharge, you know, uh, Electrify America, it's 48 cents a kilowatt hour. So you're talking to like, quote unquote, you know, full tank, you're like $35. Kind of similar to gas, it's a little bit cheaper still. But if you, if you supercharged all the time, 24-7, like all of your driving, then it's a little bit you know, more expensive, maybe more on par with the price of gasoline. But the, the fact is, you're probably going to be 99% of the time charging at home, like we just talked about. And a lot of the, ch- the a lot of the home chargers, a lot of the, um, you know, consumers is my electrical company, they have incentives to charge at night. And so my li- my li- rate at night is so low. It's very, very economical. $47 to drive 1,900 miles is way cheaper than gas no oil changes all you really have to do the first twenty thousand miles owning of my car is i've had to rotate the tires one time that's it it was twenty five dollars so twenty five dollars twenty thousand miles and then last point not every vehicle has this my vehicle has three years of free charging electrify america for a thousand kilowatt hours so even on the highway i'm getting free charging electrify america so it's very very i think unfair to say the ev cost per mile as on and the same with gasoline powered vehicles just on those articles talking about fast charging all the time in the freeway i think that's a miscomparison of the real cost and i think that segues next nicely into our fourth myth about limited options and i think there's a belief amongst the general population that electric vehicles are like priuses and they're small and there aren't very many of them they aren't good for much besides commuting and that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just in general, the number of new EVs that are coming on the market is just exploding. That's why on EVUniverse.com, we have a new feature that'll be rolling out very soon. Can't announce it quite yet. Um, but uh, once we do, I'll be really excited to share with you on helping you find some different models out there on the market, especially for this reason. But there's lots of sedans. A lot of people don't know about like the Lucid Air. BMW has the new i7. They have the i5 that's coming out. They already have the i4 that's been out for quite some time. Um, on the SUV range, BMW has the iX. SUV, you're still looking at like the Rivian R1S, which is a, a large um, SUV. There's a ton of different uh, vehicles on the market, even pickup trucks. Right. And there's there's three mm-hmm. good ones on the market currently, and there's more coming. And the Kia EV9's on the way. You know, mm-hmm. there are plenty of things on the horizon 
I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to no longer think about cyber trucks and and that craziness. Like F one fifty Lightnings is the you know like F one fifty is the best selling car or truck in the United States for like thirty years, and it's an EV version, right? So you don't have to get a crazy cyber truck. You can just go get something that's like practical, it makes sense, you know. Actually, if if you're listening, please don't get a cyber truck. Yeah, please. Um... <laughs> Just take everything Brian and Tom are saying with a grain of salt because this is only just a rib at me, not um, actually any advice. So whatever they just said the last 30 seconds or so, just please disregard. Um, I think the Cybertruck is going to be a, a game changer and uh, you guys will just be jealous. And Tom doesn't like the flashy cars. So there it is. Whatever you got to tell yourself to sleep at night, man. Number five. And number five. So I, this is one that I hear often where people are going to get on a, a podium and talk about how battery mining for battery materials is going to be more harmful than drilling for oil or that there's a coal burning power plant someplace in the world that is generating electricity for the car and you're still doing just as much harm. What do you say to that? Yeah. I mean, I think it, one is, it's, it's, I don't even say it's a tough question. I would say it's a, very a detailed question that or needs a detailed answer and very very smart folks much smarter than myself um from mit studied this and did a large write-up um i would say a year and a half or so ago that looked at the environmental impact in the whole supply chain for ev batteries versus a you know gas vehicle and what the summary of that essentially is, and I'm paraphrasing and I'm trying to remember exactly the details of it. So, um, confu- you know, I apologize in advance that there's some slight, um, you know, uh, mistakes in here, but basically what it came up with is the gas vehicles are, have less environmental impact over the first year to three years, depending on how many miles, um, they're driven. And then after that point, um, it's not even close with the EVs. I mean, essentially from there on out. And that's doesn't matter how dirty your electricity is, if it's getting coming all from coal plants, you're still better off at that point. And if you're coming from a renewable energy source, such as solar or wind, it's even even better um, at that point. But there definitely is, um, and I don't think there's anyone who would um, say that there isn't worse environmental impacts from that initial mining of a battery but overall it uh, doesn't take very long to overcome that initial um hit i would say to the the co2 emissions yeah i would uh, i agree mike i think i've i've read that article you're referencing and i also think you know the advancements in battery technology at this exact moment obviously you know the battery technology is what it is we continue to hear and read about, I, I kind of geek out about this, but there's, there's all these, you know, new battery technologies being worked on and being developed where literally there's one I was reading about over in Sweden where they, they use water as a battery to hold electricity. And if we ever get to the point, and I'm not saying that's going to be tomorrow, but if we ever get to the point where water is our battery, then there's just, you know, there's no comparison, but even solid state batteries and some other things, on the future, battery technology is just going to get better and better and better. Just think about your iPhone, you know, even five years ago, how long your iPhone battery lasted versus now. Um, better technology just continues to get better. Like uh, another good example would be, you know, microprocessors. 
Um, think about computer chips, how, how fast they've gotten and so much smaller. I think it's battery technology is going to be the same thing. Even in the next couple of years, I think we're going to see some, some massive improvements that help take down that cost of the environmental mining of the battery components. And just a comment on that speed of change, Ford re released a new battery for like a 23 and a half model year with a new battery that's actually cheaper to produce and essentially more efficient than the Mach-E that I purchased in January, which is still a model 20, a 23 year model. So it's, it's happening that quickly for these cars. I mean, I think, I think one more, one more point I want to make too is I think there's a lot of uh, battery recycling technology that's coming online as well. And to use these components that the batteries, you know, at one point, you know, you'd throw away your, your AA, your AAA batteries, you'd throw away a lot of those things. Now there's battery recycling centers where you can go and take those batteries. And I think just not losing those components to the landfill, but recycling battery, I think that technology is even more in its infancy because, you know, there's just all so much, I was just reading a, a research study on this. There's so much that we don't even know about how long the batteries will last. But once you even recycle them, you can utilize most of the components. Um, so I think I think there's a lot of things here that are just cutting edge technology that we can we can learn from in the next couple of years that will drastically decrease the environmental impact of that battery component. Guys, I appreciate the time and effort that you put into preparing our five myths of EV ownership. Uh, to our listeners, please, please, please get out to your podcast platforms and rate and review our show. We really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to getting those from you. And uh, gentlemen, unless you got anything to add, I think it's time we call it. Good to see you. Talk to you next time. Good seeing you guys. All right. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to Plug In for More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, EVUniverse.com. Until next time.